That's great. Our theme today is courage. And Dave Sheldon is a student, again, from Sherwood Oaks that's gone to Chicago, is living right there where very few people would have the courage to do that. So I hope that's an inspiration for you. Now, let's bow for a word of prayer as we get going this morning. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you have done for us, the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. I thank you for everybody that has taken time out of their schedules to come and to celebrate with us here on the west side. And Lord, this day we celebrate and we surrender to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If it's okay with you, I want to share a story that I shared this morning at the sunrise service. By the way, the sunrise service, uh, we had like close to 215, 250, 700, whatever. But it was a lot of folks out there. And so for all of you that were a part of making that happen, would you give them a huge hand, all the folks that came in early to make that happen? Just a cute little story to get us started this morning. Uh, uh, third grade teacher, Sunday school teacher, uh, was trying to get a lot out of the kids on this particular Easter morning, and she asked this very simple question. What do you think the very first words of Jesus were when he arose? And this little third grade girl stood up, spread her arms wide and said, ta-da, you can all go home now. That's, that's good. I love what G.K. Chesterton says, the life of Jesus went as swift and as straight as a thunderbolt, almost in the manner of a military march, certainly in the manner of a quest of a hero moving his achievement or his doom. In Hebrews 9.22, we read these words, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord, through which the world has been crucified to me and I also to the world. 31,120 verses in God's holy scripture, all point us to what? The cross of Jesus Christ. And you have to go through the cross to get to the other side to celebrate the resurrection. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but if you think about crosses, they are significant in our life. I want to show you just a few crosses. This is the cross, a picture I took last year from the sunrise service at Sherwood Oaks East. And then I want to show you a picture of the sunrise service this morning here at Cars Park. If we can pull that up. Yep. And then something that always tugs at my heart, I love to travel. And as I travel all around the country and drive, uh, you just see crosses. Uh, this is a couple of crosses actually near our home. They're near Clear Creek area. And every time I see those crosses, I know behind that cross or crosses that there's a story. There's always a story, and it's always a heartbreaking story. Anywhere you go, that cross reminds you of the pain and the suffering. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. But behind the cross, there are these amazing stories of men and women whose lives should inspire us. So this morning, I want to talk about those men, a couple of men who demonstrated courage and how important the cross is. What does the cross truly mean to you? This week... Uh, we had a group of our men called Discipleship Revolution. Uh, we meet on Wednesday nights at Sherwood Oaks. And every year as we prepare for Easter, we have a three-day fast. Can, if you can imagine moving 50 to 75 men to not eat for three days. 
It's not pretty, okay? So Wednesday night, we're two days in the fast, and I, I asked the guys, so how's it going? None of them cussed at me. I thought that was good. Well, one of the guys, uh, it was priceless, Dave Pruitt. Maybe some of you know Dave. Uh, Dave plays the drum here, good friend. And he said, I'll be honest, he says, I was mowing the church property, and I was not in a good mood, and John, really, I frankly, I don't like you. you know, I mean, it was, you know, he said, well, why are we doing this fast? Why? And he said, I just, he says, I was really getting worked up about all the things that I couldn't eat. He says, and it was this beautiful sunny day, but I could care less. He says, then I look out in the yard, and Short Oaks has this beautiful large cross on the property. And he said, all of a sudden, there's this long shadow right where I'm mowing. It was like God saying, shut up. You ever had that happen in your life? And he said, you know what happened? I got off that moor, and I just prayed because I realized what Jesus had done for me. That's what the shadow of the cross does. That's what it will do for everybody in this room. If you just allow Christ in, he will change your life. One of the other men said, you know what the cross does for me? After Dave shared that, he goes, it always puts my life in a perspective. Isn't that true? You've had a bad day at work. You just think about the cross. You've got an annoying family member. Don't look at them, but you've got an annoying family member. Just look at the cross. Whatever it is you're dealing with today, seriously, whatever it is you're dealing with, the cross puts all of that in perspective. So this morning, I want to talk about those two men who courageously stood up for Christ in spite of the cross. If you got your scriptures, turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Our first man of courage is Nicodemus. You've heard his name. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is the Jewish ruling council. Now, as a member of that council, he was one of 70 men who ran the religious affairs of the nation. He had religious authority over any Jew, get this, anywhere in the world. If you're a part of that 70 in that day, if you traveled anywhere in the rule in the world, you had authority. Now that is a man with a lot of clout. To quote Anchorman, he's kind of a big deal, all right? He is a, I, I can tell about three of you saw Anchorman. He is a big deal. Now I want to show you a picture here. This is interesting. This is a picture of a pub in Oxford, England. It's called the Eagle and the Child. Maybe some of you have ever traveled over there, have been to that pub. It's a really famous pub. You know why? Well, there was a book club there called the Inklings. Some academics from Oxford, no big deal. They met there on a regular basis to discuss their advanced thoughts in the 30s and 40s. But let me share a couple of members of that club. Maybe you've heard of them. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Can you imagine sitting at the table when somebody's describing this imaginary world and trying to frame it? Can you imagine that called the Lord of the Rings? Or can you imagine C.S. Lewis go, I got this crazy idea. Lions, dragons, chronicles, think it'll go anywhere? I don't know. Back and forth, back and forth. How would you like to sit at that table with two of the most brilliant writers of their time? Nicodemus sat at those tables. He sat with men who were the most brilliant biblical scholars in the world. And that's important to remember. Because when you get to John chapter 3, 
you realize that this man has been surrounded his entire life by brilliant individuals. But there was something about Jesus that jumped off the page. Beyond just the words of Jesus, the miraculous deeds of Jesus, those that followed Jesus made him want to find Jesus. And in the still of night, in total darkness, he found him. Look at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're the teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can come to the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus, look at verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Nicodemus had heard a lot. He had sat at a lot of tables. He had never heard that. And he cannot possibly understand what Jesus is communicating about being born again. He's doing everything in his power to understand. But deep inside, if you could drop down in verses 9 through 15, what do you think he really wants to know? The question is, are you the one? Because you know what those tables, what they talked about a lot? Do you think in our lifetime we will ever see the Messiah? Do you think we will ever experience the Messiah? And he figured it out. This is the Messiah. Now, he met Jesus in the dark, but I think that's a good, good thing. I think it's good for everybody in this room. You know why? It means Jesus will meet you, and he'll meet me anywhere at any time. And that's awesome news. Have you ever noticed that many times when you're going through a crisis in life, when you cry out to God, I don't know about you, I do it at night. I do it when nobody else is looking. I can't tell you all the times that I've cried myself to sleep, crying out to God to just help me, and you're the same. And when he showed up there that night, I don't think he had any idea that his life would never be the same. Now, what's amazing in Jesus' teaching is he knows he's an expert of the law. So I'd like you to drop down to verse 12. It says, I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. Then how will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is just setting this guy up. You know, he's listening, he's listening, and then look at verse 15. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone in believes in him may have eternal life. Now, that's huge because he knows this is an expert of the law, and he knows that they all, experts of the Old Testament law, they know this story. You've heard this story, I guarantee. Moses is with the Israelites, and they're coming to an area. They camp out, and it is surrounded by snakes. Am I the only one that hates snakes? I think a great snake is a dead snake. I really do. But imagine if you were with your family, and you're talking an entire area surrounded by snakes, and they're venomous, and now 
They're beginning to bite. And I mean, there is just sheer terror. And they're crying out to Moses. Moses takes this to God and says, we've got to do something about this to deliver the people. And God asked Moses to do something really strange. He says, I want you to take a pole, long pole, and I want you to build a bronze snake, and I want you to put that pole up in the air, and I want you to see what happens. Now, that's pretty strange, but you know, when you need an option and you have no options, you take whatever option you have. And you know what they did? They lifted their eyes to God. God made them lift their eyes, even though the snakes were all around them. Lift up your eyes. Now, why is that so important? Well, you're going to find out here in a little bit. Matter of fact, I think Jesus gives the greatest answer of all time in verse 16. It is so great that for us to sit here would be a crime. So I need everybody to stand up. And let's read this verse together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You may be seated. Now, I want you to think about those words. That is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. Think about that. And why did Jesus share that verse with that teacher at that time for all of us here today? Because he has the same question that nearly everybody has. Are you really the Son of God? Are you the Son of God to the point that I will surrender my life to you? And then comes those beautiful words, for God so what? Loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I'm, I'm old school on that one. I have to go King James because that's what I grew up with. But I'm telling you, that verse should never get old. Nicodemus walked away that day a changed man. How do we know that? Well, if you were to go to John chapter 7, it's interesting. It's the next time you read about Nicodemus. And in 7 verses 45 through 52, it's interesting that the Jewish leaders, they are outraged now. They are doing everything they can to bring Jesus down. They want to seize him. They want to get him out of their hair because more followers are taking the message and they're believing in Jesus and Nicodemus is still following Jesus. And so the leaders have a, a huge gathering. And when they get together, they're trying to find a loophole. They're just trying to find some way to disrupt Jesus Christ, to bring him down. But how do you bring this guy down? I mean, think about all of the things that he's done. And shame on them that they're looking for a loophole. Forget the fact that he gave sight to the blind that the lame could walk, that the hopeless found hope, and that the outcast were free. That wasn't good enough. They wanted their own Messiah. They wanted a king. And that's not what Jesus had in mind. That's not what God had in mind. Jesus would be a servant. And so what happened was they were plotting, and in steps Nicodemus. I love Nicodemus at this point. Nicodemus, basically, this is my translation, by the way. Nicodemus is like, seriously? That's the best you can do. Your loophole is this one thing. He's from Galilee. The Messiah is not from Galilee. And he's like, wait a second. He was born in Bethlehem, city of David. Hello. I mean, are you really that ignorant? Now, that's just a loose translation. Okay, right? But can you imagine 
the electricity in that room. And I love their response. Yeah, you act like you're from Galilee too. I want to say, really, that's the best you can do? Now, I can relate to this uh, as far as Jesus. It's the only thing I can probably relate with Jesus, but I can relate to this. Uh, when I was born, uh, on my birth certificate, I was born in Granite City, Illinois. Has anybody ever been to Granite City, Illinois? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Do you ever want to go back to Granite City? No. Who, nobody wants to be born in Granite City, Illinois. I mean, seriously, it, it's, just, it's just bad. And when I was two, we moved to Glen Carbon, Illinois. I lived on this huge hill, and on a clear day, you could see the arch, and I almost thought I could see Bush Stadium and all the world championship banners. I mean, that's where I grew up, okay? Glen Carbon, Illinois. But my birth certificate will never change. I was born in Granite City. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Nobody can take that away. So here's Nicodemus realizing with all the loopholes that he was going to stand up for Jesus. Now turn with me to John 19. This is where the story is pretty amazing. And this is where our second man of courage steps up. Jesus has been just, just brutally beaten. Uh, he's been flogged. He's been insulted and spit on. He's been mocked. You know that. Many of you have, uh, this time of year, have read and reread all that they've done to Jesus when they nailed him to the cross. And when they nailed him to the cross, one of the most hideous things was that particular tradition was, and uh, this is sickening, is no family member was allowed to step in when a loved one died. Were you aware of this? Somebody else outside the family had to step in. So if somebody doesn't step in, do you know what would have happened to the body of Jesus? They would leave the body on the cross to rot. And they would have these large carts, and they would take the body down days, days later. Because, see, that made a statement. Rome loved to make statements. And they would leave the bodies to rot, and then they would take those bodies in a cart outside of town to a place called Gehenna, a huge trash dump, and they would dump the bodies. That's what was going to play out. But somebody stepped up in John 19, verses 38 through 42. And who stepped up? A man named Joseph of Arimathea. He also was on the council of 70. And John 19, 38, listen to this one verse. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. Now, you may not think that's a very courageous thing to do, but I want you to think what he just did. He's a part of a very elite council. Everybody's looking up to this guy, and he's decided enough of being a secret disciple. Somebody is going to take care of this prophet. Somebody is going to take care of this Savior. And I'm the one that's going to put him in my tomb. And he went to Pilate. When you go to Pilate, you are no longer a secret disciple. You are public. You are public. But guess who joins him? Nicodemus shows up again. 
he shows up with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Now, you read that and you think, eh, what's the big deal? Uh, this is kind of a morbid question, but do you know what an average funeral costs today in Bloomington, Indiana? Between ten dollars and $12,000. Do you know what that 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe is worth today? About $150,000 to $200,000. See, they weren't just talking anymore. They courageously took a step towards God and said, this is your son, and he will be taken care of. And I could care less if the world knows that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Money, I could care less about this money. Here's a hundred, no, here's $200,000 just so that he can be buried properly. Think about that. That really is the kind of courage that God's looking for today. For everybody in this room, I want you to think about he's courageously called you to move towards the cross. He doesn't need secret disciples. If you're truly wanting to follow Jesus Christ, are you willing to do it in public? I don't mean this bad, but it's easy to show up in church. And, and trust me, I'm honored that you're here at church. But you know when it really gets hard? Tomorrow. And it's harder for you than it is for me. Trust me. It, it's tough being a minister, but I, I don't have to fight the battles that you fight. I mean, seriously, we've got some staff, eh, they've got issues. I get, you know what I'm saying? But honestly, when I go to work, I, I don't have the days that so many of you have. I know that. But man, we got to hang together, and we need to step up and be courageous. Those two men showed us what it meant to be courageous, even to the end, even in spite of the cross. Now, there's a movie that's out right now, and uh, I've got to go see it because it's, uh, it's honestly one of my all-time favorite stories. I, I'm, a, I'm addicted to a thing called the Olympics. I, when the Olympics come on, um, I just I watch of it as much as I can. And, uh, you know, when they stand on the stand and they, they play, the, I still get teary-eyed. I, I love every bit of it. Yeah, I know it's sponsored. I know they're doped up. You know, I could care less. But years ago... Probably the greatest Olympic story that I know of was Jesse Owens. I mean, if you can only imagine 1936 in Berlin. Now, think about this. In Berlin, 100,000 people in the stadium, and Adolf Hitler is looking down on you. Now, that is pressure. And uh, Jesse Owens showed up the fastest human in the world, and he let nobody down. I mean, he just dominated the sprints, 100, the 200. And the relay, I mean, he was off the charts. The toughest event, and he knew this going in, would be the long jump because if you've ever been to track meets, you know that uh, the long jump, most of it is mental because, I mean, so many things have to go right. And you have to qualify to make it to the finals in the Olympics. And uh, Jesse Owens thought he was on a practice jump. And uh, it's interesting that Hitler was there because they – they said, oh, no, no, that was a real jump. So he scratched. He scratched the second time. So now you can only imagine how rattled you would be. And out of the blue steps Luz Long. Luz Long was ranked number two in the world. He was Germany's hope in that event. And he walked up to Jesse Owens, and he said, Jesse, uh, I've been watching what's going on, and I, I want to beat you, 
but I, I want you to be at your best. And so I'm going to place a towel where you really need to leave from. You don't need to go to that spot. Don't get, even get close because you're, you're so fast. You just need to qualify. So I'm going to mark it. You jump from that spot, and you're going to make it to the finals. And Jesse Owens did exactly what he said, and he qualified for the finals. And then he went on to win the gold medal, and he hugged Jesse Owens. Now, I want you to think about that. Here's a guy embracing Jesse Owens in front of Adolf Hitler and 100,000 folks in the Nazi party from Germany. You want to talk about courage? Now, if that was how the story ended, that would be enough. But Jesse Owens said this, it took a lot of courage for him to befriend me in front of Hitler, Owens said. You can melt down all of the medals and the cups that I have, and they wouldn't be a plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt for Luz Long at that moment. Think about that. Now, here's where the story gets amazing. Because of his stand against Hitler, he was actually a lawyer. So you know what Hitler did in 1942? He took him to the front lines. So Long wrote this letter to his friend Jesse Owens in the United States. My heart is telling me that this is perhaps the last letter of my life. If that is so, I beg one thing, that when this war is over, that you go to Germany, that you find my son, and you tell him about the times when war didn't separate us, and you tell him that things can be different. And in 1951, Jesse Owens went back to Germany, and he sat down with his son, and he told that son about his dad. That's courage. That's the kind of courage that God is looking for. Because, folks, the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. There's a small town that I read about a while back, and they have a passion play. And this church, I don't know how they got this arranged, but they did. In this passion play, they had Jesus come through the town, carrying a cross into the church, and the church then would, all these people would follow into the church. That's pretty impressive. Well, they were having a practice, uh, and the, the man playing Jesus was carrying the cross. And when he got to, like, you know, most small towns have, like, a city square. When he got to the square, there was a guy standing there that didn't like the guy that was playing Jesus. And he actually started jeering Jesus. Not Jesus, but the guy playing Jesus. So the guy playing Jesus dropped the cross and went after him. And they had to break up a fight. I mean, Jesus almost landed a blow. I mean, not Jesus, the guy playing. Okay, so... So the director's like, Jesus can't be punching people. I mean, no, I, you can't do that. And he goes, no, you've you got to let me do it. No, I'm going to have to let you go and get another. And he goes, no, no, I can do this. I can do this. So the night of the production, everybody's kind of nervous, and the man playing Jesus gets to the very same spot, and this guy starts jeering again. And the guy's shaking his hands, and he looks at the guy, and he goes, I will see you after the resurrection. You know what happened on that day with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus? They didn't realize they were going to see him again. They were going to see him after the resurrection. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when Jesus wrapped his arms around those guys? 
I would have loved to hear what he whispered in their ear. You're not, a, you're not a secret disciple anymore. And thank you for stepping up. That's what he wants from everybody here. He just wants you to step up. You'll notice on your seats, I just was thinking about Easter a lot, and I just thought, today, what do I need courage for? Everybody here, you need courage for something. And I want you to think about what you need courage for today. What is that? For some of you, it may be Jesus Christ. You've never made the decision. You just keep putting it off, putting it off. Uh, maybe you feel like you don't have enough information or you feel like church is for just strange people. I, I don't know what the hang-up is, but for whatever reason, you just put Jesus off. Maybe this is the day that you say, I want to give it to Jesus. I want my life controlled by Jesus. For some of you, you may just need somebody to pray with you. You know, one of the greatest things in life to do is to admit that we need help. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I've asked an entire team, and they've got a green neon prayer cards on, and I've asked them to come up here, and they're going to be here for the next few minutes. They're going to be here throughout the service, and it's just folks that if you need to pray with someone as we approach communion here a little bit, we just want you to know that there's those here today that will pray with you no matter what it is you're going through. And here, here's the deal. I know it's Easter. I know your mind right now is thinking, man, I know what I'm having for lunch today. I already know that. But just for a little bit, will you focus on the cross of Christ and the courage it takes to step up? We're going to sing an invitation. If you need to pray with someone, we want to challenge you to come forward just to pray, and we want to be here to help you as we stand and as we sing.